Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. So uh, early on when Janelle and I were married and uh, we were doing some house projects, some house renovations, we had this uh, unique situation where we had a a friend who was uh, our contractor and then uh, we also had some hail damage at the time. So we were trying to like combine some different projects. Like as they were going to redo the roof, we decided to uh, change some aspects of our house and actually raise the roof on a certain part. Um, I don't mean like raise the roof like this, but like actually like elevate the roof. And then also um, put some dormers in. So, so we're like combining these things. And um, our, our contractor friend was giving us a really good deal. So he was like, I'm going to use some of the insurance money I actually pay for some of these improvements. So anyway, long story short, I'm actually working with him. I'm helping him do some of the work. And then he's like, hey, just so you know, we're to the point in the project where all that insurance money is used up. And like now it's on you guys, like... To, to pay the difference. And we're like, oh, okay. I, I mean, we, we knew that would happen. We knew it wouldn't cover everything. So I just, you know, called Janelle to let her know that. Like, hey, Janelle, just want to let you know we're out of money. <laughs> <laughs> and then the worst part was, like, I was in the middle of something. I just, like, was going to let her know real quick. And then, <laughs> like, okay, I got to go. Bye. <laughs> She's at work, and she tells me, like, she's like, you cannot say, like, because we weren't out of money. We're just out of the insurance money, right? But in her mind, she heard, like, our bank account is empty, and there's nothing left. And the way she describes it, like, her heart just was, like, like, locking up. So, uh, thankfully, that was early on in our marriage, and we have grown from this place of... uh, in terms of both communicating with each other about money more effectively, uh, as well as handling our money a little differently. Uh, More on that to come. But if you're just joining us or forgot what we're doing, uh, this series is all about margin. And margin is extra or surplus. That's the basic definition of margin. If you ever uh, have, you know, pieces of paper with the lines on it, you have margins on the edge, right? You have wide margin, narrow margin. But that margin is the difference between like you're not supposed to fill it up. That, that margin's for other stuff. It's the difference between what is available and what is required. And so we talked two weeks ago about handling our time this way. Last week we talked about our energy and today we talked, we're going to talk about money, finances, everyone's favorite topic to talk about in church. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching. And actually uh, I found personally, I kind of joke about like, oh, no one wants to hear this, but actually This is an area where I think a lot of us, we want to be faithful with our money and it can be complicated. And so um, I'm uh, grateful that that, uh, I want to say the heart that I've heard expressed is actually, no, I, I want to handle my money faithfully the way God wants me to. And so if that's your heart today, I'm so grateful that that is your heart. And I hope to do my best to equip you from scripture to understand what that looks like. Um, And so this is a joke, by the way. Here's the short of it. 
you should have margin when it comes to your money. You, you, you earn a certain amount. Your spending should be below that. End of message. There you go. Do that with your money, right? Okay. <laughs> you should have margin. Uh, no, as we get started, I actually wanted to look at a, a teaching of Jesus. This is actually a very intense teaching of Jesus about counting the cost of following him. That if you're going to choose to follow Jesus and make him your Lord, that includes all of your life. Let's look at these verses. And it's going to set up two points that are going to guide our whole time together today. This is in Luke chapter 14. If you'd like to follow along, you can go ahead and open up there. Uh, This is kind of our our key text for the day, although we're going to have a bunch of different scriptures. So you might want to just follow along on screen. We'll put all the scriptures on screen today as well. Um, I'm reading from uh, the Christian Standard Bible, CSB, uh, but the verses will be the same And whatever you're reading. It says this, Now great crowds were traveling with him, and the him here is Jesus. And so Jesus turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, before you freak out about these verses, this is intentional overstatement, um, but Jesus is making a point that your love for me needs to be above that of your love for your spouse and your kids and your own family members. And that can be a challenging statement in our culture. We tend to elevate family above all else. And Jesus says, no, the Lord comes first. And then Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross, in the, in the first century, the cross was where people were executed publicly and shamefully. Whoever does not bear that cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These are really intense sayings, right? You have to put me first. You have to be ready to die. But then listen to what he says. He says, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and do the math? and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. (laughs) Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. So a couple things uh, that this sets up for us. One, that Jesus says following following him, choosing to be his disciple is costly. And... It's this interesting thing where the message of Christianity is both that salvation is this free gift and also that following Jesus will cost you everything. That everything is surrendered to him because the basic profession of a Christian is you are Lord or you are master, you are king. And so if you're going to say you are king, that means who isn't king? Yeah, that's exactly right. If you are master, then whatever your will is, I'm, I'm already saying yes to that in advance. Yes. And so I want to start with this because when it comes to finances and money, it's very tempting to start somewhere else. What are your personal goals and dreams? It's okay to ask that question, but that should not be our first question, especially if you consider yourself a Christian. Our first question should be, what is the will of the master? 
What does he want us to do with our money and our finances? How does he want us to handle it? What does faithfulness to him look like? That's the question we want to start with. Again, uh, the way I put it in your notes is that following Jesus has always been an all or nothing proposition. And it's also important for us to see that this is not simply about Sundays. And it's not even just about a tithe uh, if you practice giving 10% of your income away. Um, That's a very common Christian practice. We'll talk more about that later in the service. But it's not even saying, you know, give your first 10% to the Lord. It's actually all. You say as a Christian, it's all yours. What is your will for it, God? What is your will? That's what I'm going to go with. And so that's the question we want to explore. What does it mean to honor God with our finances? Now, the second reason I wanted to read these scriptures is because If you think about what Jesus says, you'll realize very quickly that the kind of culture and the thinking and what was common sense in Jesus's day about money and finances is no longer common sense in our day for a number of reasons. I mean, just think about what Jesus says. You're like, which of you wanting to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if you have enough to complete it? And what is Jesus' working assumption? If you do not have enough in hand to do this project, it's impossible and you can't do it, right? That's the way it worked in his world. Is that the way it works in our world? Does anyone do this? Does anyone sit down and be like, can I build this whole thing with the money I have right now? And I want to draw out the fact that what was common sense in Jesus' day is no longer common sense in our day. And the way we think about money is actually very different because of our culture. And that's okay that our culture has changed, but some of the things I'm going to say today will sound really weird. And I think part of that weirdness is because our cultures are so different. Our cultures drifted so far away from what was just common sense in Jesus's day. Let's talk about money today. Uh, Here's some statistics on money. Uh, Almost 40% of Americans rely on credit cards to cover their basic monthly needs. Is that making sure you have enough to build a tower? One in four have maxed out a credit card in the last 90 days. Uh, Just over half of Americans said that they were having difficulty paying their bills in the past three months. And so we're not talking about extra spending, we're just talking about basic bills for life. Uh, 57% of Americans, when they're asked the question, like, if you had a $1,000 emergency, could you pay for it? 57% of Americans said they could not afford that. And the Federal Reserve, and this is from quarter three of last year, so uh, credit card debt soared to $1.08 trillion. That's with a T, not a B, trillion, uh, which comes out to just uh, just over $6,000 per credit card user. This is our culture and how we think about money and what just everyone does it. And I just want to set up aside at the start how different these things are. Which of you doesn't consider if you can afford it before you start building versus how our culture is today? Because again, as I work through what I think the Bible holds up as how we should do our money, if you do money this way, people are going to think you're weird. And that's okay. Because as I look at this, I just kind of come to this conclusion of like, I don't, if this is normal, I don't think I want to be normal. 
I'm okay being weird in the area of finances and money. And so again, our heart is to follow Jesus, whether that our culture thinks that's weird or not, whether your whole family thinks you're strange and backwards or not. So I want to give you a summary now of, um, as I've studied scripture, some of the things that jump out to me. So first of all, as you read through Jesus' teaching on money, and um, just for the sake of time, I, I didn't want to go through every single verse, but it becomes very clear that the biblical challenge is towards generosity. The following Jesus looks like becoming a more generous person, more willing and ready and open-handed with what God has given us and willing to help those in need. Right? That's what generosity is, open-handedness with our money and a willingness to help whoever we encounter who's in need, to move from maybe being less generous to more generous and more quick to give and help. Because after all, God so loved the world that he gave. That's God's heart. Then Jesus says, follow me, become like me. So followers of Jesus should be known as givers. But then there's a second um, strand in scripture when you study money. And this becomes especially clear in the book of Proverbs and other uh, kind of wisdom teaching on, on the right way to live and the smart way to live is this emphasis on moving towards high stewardship. Now, stewardship is kind of a complicated topic, but it just means uh, what I mean by it is like being wise, savvy, um, not just book smarts, but like street smarts, smart with your money and your finances. And now, what I have found, and what I've even struggled with as a pastor, as I've taught on finances, is in some ways, it's like easy to just spend a whole Sunday just talking about this, or a whole Sunday talking about this. And what I'm realizing, and what I want to bring together for you today, is that really, when you put all these things together, faithfulness to Jesus looks like putting it all together. And that's what I want to try and help you do today. Okay? That faithfulness to the ways of Jesus means moving towards the upper right of this graph. Um, so on the top, if you're looking at this, you see um, high generosity is the upper part. Low generosity is the lower part. High stewardship is on the right. Low stewardship is on the left. And what's interesting about this is, first of all, I'd just love for you to consider, where are you? Like all of us could put a dot on this graph. You're somewhere here. Where are you? And I find it's tempting for me to focus on what I'm good at and try and like close my eyes to what I'm not good at. And so my challenge is to not close your eyes to maybe where you're not as great with money today and just be open-minded to how God would challenge you to change. And I also find that within some streams of Christianity, that upper left corner, the low stewardship, high generosity. This is the kind of person who's like, I'm just trusting God. I haven't looked at my bank statement in years. I just trust Jesus. And I'll give to anyone in need. And in some ways, there's like, I'm almost like, wow, that sounds really spiritual in some ways, right? You're just trusting Jesus for everything. And you're generous. Like, I know some people who are incredibly generous, but their finances don't look very good, right? And on the other hand, some people are like, no, 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 no. I know I'm good when it comes to 
find us. Like we have a budget meeting every month. We're super good about money. We're super careful. We put, you know, all of Dave Ramsey's things we do, right? We use cash. We do 15% towards retirement and saving up for kids' college, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's awesome. How generous are you? And they're like, what's, what's that? And there, it can be easy to focus on either one or the other. But we want to move towards being faithful and wise and accounting for everything and being open-handed with it all and ready to give and help those in need. This is where we want to move towards by God's grace. Does that make sense? This is the main idea for today. I want to give it to you up front in case you get lost along the way. I will do my best not to lose you along the way, but just want to put it out here. So we're talking about margin. What is available, what is required, and making sure that when it comes to our money, we're not spending all the way up to what's available, that there's a little bit of margin there. And I want to talk for a minute about why this is important and why this is powerful and why it could be um, not just, I think, the way God wants us to handle finances, but why he would want us to do this with finances. So first, a proverb. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, Go to the ant, you slacker. (laughs) Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. What's the point? You should do the same, right? That's the point, right? So how long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. So this proverb is teaching several things. I mean, it's teaching about the importance of hard work, right? Uh, Earning, but also earning in light of preparation for inevitable future tough circumstances, right? He's talking about like, hey, it's summertime, it's harvest season, That's the time to work and to earn and prepare because winter's coming. And nothing's going to be coming in then to be prepared for the tough times and the dry times. And one of the advantages of living with financial margin is that you're prepared for emergencies. I know you know this phrase. When it rains, it pours, right? And I've seen this in people's life. I'm sure you have too, where something goes wrong. And it's a financially costly thing. And then something else goes wrong and something else goes wrong. It's like, oh, man. And I just feel for them, especially if it's someone who is not ready for those times. When you have margin, you're ready for those times. You're prepared for emergencies. When emergencies come, they don't freak you out. And that leads us to the second thing, um, that you have freedom and peace of mind if you are living with financial margin. Um, again, this is something Janelle and I have been working on and by God's grace have really improved on over the years. And, um, you know, we have an emergency fund. That's part of that margin. And just last night, actually, uh, our fridge was making a weird noise and then the, the breaker tripped. It's like, that's weird. Turned it back on. Seemed okay. This morning as I was getting ready and making some notes, it was making weird noises again. And then I opened the fridge and the light's off and the fridge is off because it broke uh, the tripper, the breaker tripped again. Um, So uh, something's wrong with our fridge. 
we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's a cheap repair or expensive repair or if I have to get a new fridge. But you know what? Like, when I told Janelle, hey, the, the breaker tripped again this morning, she was not like, oh, no, how are we going to make this work? Uh, it was just like, well, I guess we need to start looking for a new fridge. There's no, like, deep-rooted, like, ah. Uh, right? We have a little bit of peace, even in light of emergencies. Now, that's a small emergency, I know, but it's the gift of not living with fear or stress even when emergencies happen. And here's the most important thing. When you live with financial margin, you won't be tempted to rob your own generosity. Here's what Malachi 3 says. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions, you're suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. And then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Now, I just want to focus on this idea. It's just really interesting that God's like, hey, you're not, you're not being generous in the way I've called you to be. And for the Old Testament Israelites, there was actually laws related to this. Like you have to submit 10% to the storehouse. But what I find fascinating is I have not met anyone personally who doesn't want to be generous. I just, everyone I talk to, if we actually talk about money, which is impolite in our society and culture, so we tend not to. But if we do, like everyone I know intends to be generous. Like, yeah, if I just was earning a little more, I could be more generous. Or I'd love to be generous. I'd love to help people in need. Almost everyone I know intends to be generous, wants to be generous, has that desire in their heart. But what is the problem? We live without margin. We allocate all of it. And then, like I talked about, we are not great planners. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And so what inevitably happens? Oh, this thing costs more than we thought. Well, we are going to be generous, but now we got to take from that. When you live without margin you'll be tempted to rob your own generosity because something will go wrong. So I want to encourage you today to do what Jesus asked us to do, to count the cost. To count the cost of following him, yes. To count the cost of saying yes to him, saying, yes, you are Lord, you get to tell me what to do with my money. Jesus says, count that cost. But I also want to challenge you to count the cost of not living God's way. There is a cost to not being wise with your finances. There's a cost to not living with margin. When you don't live with financial margin, you're not prepared for emergencies. They're stressful. They freak you out. You don't have peace of mind and heart, and you don't get to be the generous person you want to be. There's a cost to not living the way Jesus invites us to live. So I'm going to get into some practical things in a moment. And some of these may be applicable to you. Some of them may not be. 
some of these things you're going to be like, oh, Luke, you're just getting started. I should be teaching this <laughs> message, probably, probably maybe so. Um, but as I share these things, I, I want to be honest about where I'm, where I'm coming from because I get a little bit passionate about this area because I've not always been good in finances. Uh, when Janelle and I first got married, I just didn't want to look at money. It was scary, and I, I was just worried that we wouldn't have enough, so my solution was like the whole ostrich thing, right? The ostriches bury their head in the sand. Uh, if, I, if I don't see the danger, then it doesn't exist. Uh, that was honestly kind of like my attitude about money. Uh, I remember early on, Janelle was like, hey, you have student loans. How much, how much are you going to owe? It's like, I don't know. And Janelle will tell you, it was, the kind of, it was not the kind of I don't know of like, I don't know, let's find out. It was a kind of I don't know of like, let's stop talking about this right now. <laughs> this is an uncomfortable subject. Can we please ignore this reality? Um, so partly what changed for us was uh, I went to this conference. It was a Christian leadership conference. They had different speakers. And for a couple of the speakers, they actually had free books. And they were like, hey, we'll give you a free book from one of the major conference speakers. And uh, the book I really wanted, everyone had already grabbed. It's like, oh, man. Uh, they had this other pile of books I wasn't really interested in. This was in the other pile of books. Uh, it's like, who's this Dave Ramsey guy? Whatever, it's free, I'll take it. So I bring this book home for this conference and throw it somewhere. I'm not reading this. Like, I don't want to look at my money. But Janelle reads it. And then she's like, Luke, you should, you should really read this book. I was like, oh, okay, maybe, we'll see, you know. And, uh, and I, to Janelle's credit, like, she was not, like, nagging, like, come on, come on, come on. She was just like, no, it'd be really good. It's really good. We have, there's some potential here for growth for us. And uh, so finally I read it. And, I mean, if you've read or listened to any Dave... Dave Ramsey people here? Okay, a bunch of you are. Uh, if you are, you know he only has like one book's worth of concepts. He just rewrites that and titles it something else. So if you've read Financial Peace, you've really read this book too. Um, but it's basically all the financial peace principles. And so I read it, and it was so helpful to get all this information, and not only the information, but like a step-by-step -step plan. Here's where you're starting. Here's what to do next. He talks about the baby steps. Um, but for me, what was even more powerful is as I leafed through this book, every other page was just this little tiny paragraph. It was like, you know, Joe and Bob owed $200,000 in credit card debt. They got on board with their plan and paid it off in three years. And then you turn the pages like Sally was a stay at, or was a, was a single mom and she had $12,000 in credit card debt and she paid it off. And so like, and as I read these stories, like, they did it. Like, maybe I could do it. Like, maybe we could do it, too. Uh, for me, it was not just the education and the information, but the inspiration and catching that vision of like, no, this could really change for you. And um, so long story short, we went through this book. We started doing Dave Ramsey's Baby Steps, like many of you have, and worked through that and found it so helpful. Um, and still trying to live that way ourselves. And so a lot of what I'm going to share is, is related to this. Now, um, I have, like, I know that I cannot do in one message what took me 
months of reading and slow inspiration, slow progress towards. And so I'm not trying to get you from way over here to way over there today. But if by God's grace, I can like just give you a little bit of a head start and nudge you that direction, that would be wonderful, especially for those of you who maybe are like I used to be and did not want to look at it because it was scary. And so much of what I'm about to share with you comes from Dave Ramsey. It comes from other places too. Um, But I'm just going to give you some practical suggestions about how to get started. Maybe for you, you're already on this journey. This is just encouragements. And they'll be like, got it, doing it, great. Uh, And if that's you, I just want to encourage you and say, keep going, keep doing it, good job. So just some practical things. Uh, Make a plan. Which of you does not first count the cost? Figure it out, do the math, right? And so we want to make a plan because there is power in pre-deciding and writing it down. Uh, For many people, this looks like doing a monthly budget meeting. When Janelle and I first started doing this, we started doing a monthly budget meeting. We had never done one before. It was a learning curve. The first one we did took us probably three hours. Now it takes us like 45 minutes, but we still do a monthly budget meeting. And what doing a monthly budget meeting will do for you is it makes you stare all the stuff in the face. Like you have to look at your financial reality, not your financial dreams and ideals, but real life. And I've just heard so many stories about this being eye-opening for people where they're like, oh, I know why I'm not saving for retirement. I'm spending it all on restaurants, right? Where if you don't look it full in the face, you just don't know where it's going. There's Dave Ramsey quote that says, if you don't decide where it's going to go, you'll wonder where it went. And I think that's just true. Uh, Secondly, be quick to ask others for help. Uh, This relates to that information piece. If you don't know where to get started, you just feel lost. A lot of us here as a church have gone through financial peace. Uh, There's people here with much more experience than I have who would love to help you. So be quick to ask for help. Like, hey, I want to do a budget. I don't even know where to get started. We would love to help you get started. There's some resources we can point you towards. But I also mean this in the accountability sense. If you're like, hey, I've made 20 budgets. I've stuck to zero of them. Like what I need is accountability. I need, I need like an accountability partner in the area of finances. We would love to help you with that too. Maybe someone in your connection group can help you. If you're not in a connection group, we can connect you with someone. But be quick to ask others for help. That's what Christian community is about. Thirdly, strategize ways to put limits on problem areas, all right? So if you follow Dave Ramsey to a T, this is why he recommends using cash because once your cash for a certain category is gone, then you can't spend anymore. Um, For us, this has been powerful in the area of groceries, mostly because I'm the one who shops for the groceries. And then I shop sometimes when I'm hungry. I'm like, ooh, this looks good. This looks good. And then I'm like, oh, wait. All right, it looks good, but it doesn't look good with the amount of cash I have. Um, This can look different ways. That's just one way. But if you have problems overspending in a certain area, it's good to be just strategic about that. How can I make sure I don't overspend in that area? It's not just about information, but behavior change on a practical level. Fourthly, keep learning. Keep learning. 
as I was preparing for this message, I, I looked at some of the, um, have you guys ever watched or heard the debt-free screams that people do? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So, so Dave Ramsey has a radio show, um, and every time he does this radio show, he takes calls from people who are like, hey, I'm in financial trouble. What advice would you give me? He gives them advice. But actually, my favorite part of what he does is people will come into the studio and be like, hey, we worked the system. We paid off our debt. And they take about nine to 10 minutes and tell their story and how much they owed and how long it took them to pay it off. And then they do their debt-free scream, which is just one, two, three, we're debt-free, yay! So when I say keep learning, I mean, if this is an area of growth for you, you may need to keep learning. So maybe get a book, The Total Money Makeover, or something like that, and keep learning. But also to stay inspired. To stay inspired. Maybe you just need to watch a debt-free scream video every single day until you start to believe that change is actually possible for you to keep learning. Set up this last point, um, I want to share a verse from the Apostle Paul. And this is, again, one of those areas where, man, their culture was so different from ours. Paul says this, he says, or he writes this, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you... He's talking about the church in Philippi. You, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me before now, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I'm going to read more of these verses, but wouldn't that be amazing if you could say that? I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, most of you know that verse, don't you? But you might not know the context. When he says, I am I able to do all things through him who strengthens me, he's talking about the strength to be content even when you're hungry and even when you don't have enough. I think if you want to live with margin and handle your finances the way God wants you to, you will have to cultivate contentment. You have to cultivate this attitude of, you know what? I have enough. Through Jesus, I have enough. Because of Jesus, I have enough. Because 24-7, our culture and the advertising we get and hear and receive, and even just walking through a parking lot and looking at all the other cars, what's happening? Our culture is trying to cultivate discontentment in us. You need more. You need better. And so if you're going to go against that, you're going to have to work hard to cultivate contentment. And so you might be weird. You might have to be a little strange. Like I was just thinking about uh, the vehicles Janelle and I drive, partly because of this. Like we have uh, 
One of our vehicles just hit the 300,000 mile, uh, 300,000 mark. Woo. That's not a bad thing. That's a badge of pride right there. Or I was looking at my van. I was thinking about this message, and then I was um, taking some stuff to the recycling center this week. And then I was like laughing. I was just laughing at myself because we have this uh, 04 Kia Sedona van. And then I have to prop the back because the fluid in the, that holds the door open is all gone. So I have to have like a stick in there. So I put the stick in there, and then I'm emptying it. And then I close it. And then I was like looking at the rust on the back. I'm like, you can't pay for that. Right? This is, this is anti-theft <laughs> built in right here. No one's going to, right? That's right. And then I'm just laughing at our, the, the rear windshield wiper. The other day, I turned it on. I don't know what went wrong, but instead of doing this, now it does this. <laughs> All right? It's hanging down like a doggy tail. And um, I just like laughing because you know what else our car does? It gets me from here to there. That's called transportation. <laughs> and people 200 years ago would have given a kidney to have the kind of vehicle that Janelle and I have. Now, I'm not saying everyone needs to drive a chunker at all. That's not, that's not the point. That's not the point. But my point is, like, it's good and healthy for me to laugh at myself a little bit. And be like, God, thank you. We have a vehicle that gets us where we need to go. Not everyone does. To cultivate contentment. So where are you? Where are you? And if following Jesus means moving up and towards the right, what is the next step for you to take? That's the question I want you to consider today and this week. If you're married, to talk to your spouse about what is the next step for us to take to move this direction towards high stewardship and high generosity. And before our worship team comes up, um, you guys can actually begin coming up now. I I just want to give you some, some closing encouragements. The area of finances can be an area where if you're in a lot of debt right now or were in the past or didn't save like you wish you had, can just kind of become this source of shame for some people. And I want to encourage you to don't, not, don't live there. Like, that's not the good news. I was thinking of the analogy of, like, some of you, if you're just honest with yourself, it's like you've dug this deep hole. And right now you're in that deep hole, and you're just depressed because you're, like, debt-free, yeah, right. Like, I'm in this hole. But what is your alternative, right? You can keep digging. You can stay there and just be sad about the fact that you're there. But the invitation to you today is to put the shovel down and to start climbing out of this hole. You can't go back. You can't undo what you've dug. That's reality but you can, with God's grace and God's help, move forward. And I want to encourage you, if that's where you're feeling today, you are not alone. You're not alone. The good news of the gospel is that he who was rich became poor for us. And he came for us. He came not for those who have their money all worked out perfectly. 
Jesus said, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. He came for all of us. And so if you're here today and you're just like, my finances are a mess, the good news is Jesus came for you. And this is not get your finances in order and then come to God. It's the exact opposite of that. It's come to God with your brokenness and your messed upness and all of it. And say, bring me healing. Help me move forward by your grace. Take me as I am. Forgive me for my past mistakes and regrets and failures and then walking with him. So would you let me pray for us? And then we're going to celebrate and try and find our contentment in Jesus first and foremost. God, I know each of us are in a different place with our money and seeking to honor you with it. And first of all, would you just give us that heart, a heart that says, you are Lord, you are King, you are master. So whatever you say, that's what I'm gonna seek to do. And God, also, would you just, uh, if anyone here is in that place of just sorrow and frustration and pain and regret from the way they've handled money in the past, would you meet them right there, right now? And speak the words of, I am with you and I love you and help them know deep in their hearts that there is grace for them through Jesus. God, would you help all of us consider where we are and what following you looks like and have the courage not just to know what that is, but to actually move forward in faith and do it. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.